Um, it's the necessity of humility. The necessity of humility. It's, um, it's not an optional extra. <laughs> Glory to God. So the direction that God is leading his church in has certain requisites, certain things that are required. Now, we know that we look at the church and, and all the different ways that it's done and all the different structures within the church and, and, and all of that stuff. But his church has certain things that will be required of the members in particular. And these have to function fully and unimpeded for us to get to the destination. Fully and unimpeded. The things that God is calling us individually to, to operate in, to, to work in. Those, those character requisites. And what's the destination? It's a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. That's what he's coming back for. He's coming back for that church without spot or wrinkle. I think I, I, I said something about that last week. What are, the, what are the spots and wrinkles? Well, the church is made up of people. So the spots and wrinkles might be people. So what do you do? You remove the spots and you iron out the wrinkles. That's what it's going to be. So that there's going to be nothing that offends in his church. That's our destination. Now, having said that, God will have his church. He will have his church. So the only thing for us to have in our mind is that are we going to be part of what he's creating? Are we going to be part of that church that he's coming back for? That church that will be, uh, I said in the prayer meeting this morning, I think, on equal standing for the one who's coming back to receive it. And that just blows my mind. <laughs> that Jesus is coming back for an equal. I think, Pow! that blows my mind. But, you know, we need to submit ourselves to God fully to, for, for, that, to, for, for us to be a part of that. He'll have it. He's going to do it. Will we be a part of it? If I were to ask you, now when the Bible talks about the, the, the human heart, it's, you know, yes, we've got a, a, a pump in our chest and it's doing a very good job because we're all still here. Um, amen. Amen. Um, and there are, you know, there are special characteristics about, uh, about the, the heart, you know, uh, but when the Bible's talking about the heart of man, it's talking about our, 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 our eternal being, our spirit and our soul. So if I was to pose the question to you, what is the biggest issue with the human heart? If you put it in one word, any, any, any would like to, anybody would like to advance? It seems a problem. It certainly is. I'd, I'd settle on that one. 
Pride. Pride. It's all sins all wrapped up in it. Pride. Pride of the human heart. I would propose to you as being the single biggest issue of the human heart. And you know, God always goes to the seat of the of the problem. Where's the biggest problem? That's where he goes. Deals with that problem, and he's dealt with that problem on the cross, but he deals with that problem, then we're in a place where we can receive what he has for us in building his church. So Ephesians chapter 4, you're already there? Glory to God. I'm going to start in verse 1. This is Paul. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart that God is longing for in his people. Now, in the King James Version, it's lowliness and meekness. And it says gentleness there. So if you look up those words, lowliness and meekness, lowliness is is a modesty. It's a humbleness of mind. It's a humility of mind, our thinking. You look at meekness, gentleness, humility. That's the definition of it. Both those words are wrapped up in humility. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Good word, that, beseech. It's exhort, encourage. It's a real heartfelt, please, please walk this way. That you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. We have to bear with one another in love because we're not all at the same spot. You, you, you may have presented yourself to God and he's done some work already and he's got you to a, 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 a point along the journey um, where, where he, you, you have allowed him to, to, to work some work within you. And, and, but there's, there's more, there's others coming in and they've just started that process. You know, if we're... If, if we at any stage look down on anybody who's not where we think we are, we are not walking in humility. We're not walking with that attitude of heart towards those people. We've got to encourage people. We've got to sow into people's lives. Never judge. It's not our job. So having said that, With that being the case, what is humility? What is it? What is humility? Now, sometimes it's easy, easier, I find it easier to explain what something is by really putting it out there, this is what it's not, okay? 
So I'm going to do that this morning. What is humility? Neither having pride or indulging in self-depreciation. Neither having pride or indulging in self-depreciation. So I'm going to look at both of those things just briefly. Pride. Aren't there so many forms of pride? Aren't there so many forms of pride? Now look, some are really blatant. Very, very, very blatant. So the, um, you know, the LG... um, Oh, I nearly said it. I, I only get to be, and I get to be, and it's, it's bull something. <laughs> LG bull, you know, after the cows have left the paddock, what's left. Um, that, that's as much as I want to know. Because that thing, and there are other things with it, we know, but it's blatant because... They will have a pride march. The very thing that will undo a person, a very thing that will send a person to an eternity without God, they say, look at this, this is who we are. And they walk in their pride. It's perverse. And it's very, very sad that, <laughs> that people could be so deceived to promote what God says is on the exact opposite end of, of who he is. So some, 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 some of it's blatant and you think, yep, right, there it is because it's in big letters on holding a banner. Pride, yeah, okay, yep, yep, that's out there. But some of it isn't. Some forms of pride are not um, blatant uh, there's a, a, a verse in in exodus chapter 19 and, and and verse 8 and and it was just after moses had gone up onto mount sinai god had spoken to him and you know there's the thunderings and lightnings and smoke and terrified presence of god and moses has been in the presence of god presence of god and god has told him the things that he was going to do Moses comes down and says what the Lord says is going to happen, what the Lord says he's going to do. And the people's response was, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Now that might have been maybe ignorance. Might have been ignorance. But even to have the thought in our mind that, yeah, I can do that. All the holy requirements of God, and we say, Yep, I'm up for that. I can do that. I can do it all by myself. You get a little person, you know. You know, they, they, they learn different things, and, and you want them to be able to do it, but <laughs> you know, sometimes they launch into the things that they can't do before they can do them. <laughs> and what do you get then? You get a big mess. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I love it when the little ones they start with the spoon and they, you know, they're they're, they're over mum or dad feeding with the spoon and they get the spoon and it's, you know, <laughs> got porridge on the forehead. And, yeah, just make a mess. 
All that the Lord has said, we will do. So some pride is blatant, some is, is, is not. Sometimes it's just ignorance and, 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 you know, that hides in our heart. But, you know, some pride is dressed up as humility. It really is. Have you ever heard the expression, um, forgive me if you've used it, um, uh, in my humble opinion, blah, whatever comes out next. Now, I've, 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 heard, that, I've heard that said and, and coming from people that actually they do have something to say, but so often I've heard that in my humble opinion and then what's coming out next is there's no humility in what's coming out next. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, if you if you want to test that, you just see the reaction if from that person if um, if their humble opinion is ignored. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not not a lot of humility. I had a friend once. Now he was a neighbour in our first house across the road, and um, he used that all the time. That expression all the time. In my humble opinion, the emphasis on my was. In my humble opinion, and then blah, 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 there was not an ounce of humility in that man. He was arrogant, he was self-obsessed, and he was totally full of his own importance. But he used to use that, in, in my humble opinion. And I, I tried for... Um, Quite a number of years with that gentleman. And we didn't get anywhere. Because he didn't want to. He didn't want it. He just wanted what he wanted. And you do the best that you can and you be directed with God in, in, in who you sow into but sometimes there comes a point where you say, okay, you don't want what is available. Go find someone who does want what is available. So that's pride. Some blatant, some not. Some dressed up as something else. What about self-depreciation? Self-depreciation, um, I looked up the, in the definition um, it talked about it being an indulgence. Self-depreciation often is an in indulgence and, uh, I, and often um, centred on self-pity. And as soon as there's self in, um, in, a, in a definition, you know, you know it's focused on, on, the, on the person themselves. In Psalm chapter 8 and verse 3 and 4, this is a psalm of David. And he just writes, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. And I would encourage people to, to do that. To get out and have a look at the majesty of God's creation. The hugeness, the, the unbounded eternity of, of, of even the natural that God has created and really take that in the wonder and awe of what God has created 
you know, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. I believe he's created much of what he's created so that if, if a human heart considers <laughs> that, it just opens your mind to the possibility of maybe, maybe there was somebody created that. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you give attention to or care for him. You know, we, 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 we must have a recognition of our condition without God. That's... If you don't have a recognition of your condition without God, you won't, you, you won't ask him to be your saviour. That's a given. And, you know, sometimes we, yes, we need to, to, to re, revisit that in a, in a sense. When we see the, 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 the people who are in a bad way, you know, life has... has chewed them up because they're living a life without a knowledge of who they are, without a knowledge of their saviour. Sometimes we need to just look and say, but for the grace of God. If it wasn't for God, that might be me. That'll give you a greater level of compassion for those people. Because it wasn't what I've done, it's what he's done. So there, there must be a recognition of our condition without God and our right standing with God through Jesus and if we really get that, if we really get the right standing that we have and enjoy because of what God has done, and, and, and that, that grows, I know that grows, our, our, our identity in him, as that grows, this area of, of self-depreciation and the indulgence in self-pity that we can, can sometimes have, that, that gets dealt with. And now I know I've got to be I've got to be sensitive here, <laughs> because you know private time with the Father is a really important thing. You get before God, and sometimes there'll be tears and, and other stuff. And, all right, because you you just pour your heart out before God. It's a good thing. That's a good thing. But you know after years of walking with the Lord. Sometimes the, you know, walking with him, walking with the Father, is, is, the, is that reaction sometimes, sometimes, is that sometimes just a self-indulgence? The tears and the whatever. Sometimes, you know, sometimes God will put his finger on something and, and it needs to be dealt with and that's, that's just the reaction from us. But sometimes, 
Maybe it's just a self-indulgence. And I'm not judging. We, we're to judge ourselves, the Bible says. <laughs> Search your own heart. See what's happening there. Okay. Just, uh, you're still in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, um, verse 11 to 16. I'm just going to read that out of the New King James Version. And look, we, we're going we're gonna to spend some, some time here, I, I believe, moving forward. <laughs> we have spent a little bit of time here, but there's more to come. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of Man, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I said Jesus is coming back for a church that is his equal. There it is. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried away with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, the joint, the people, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Hallelujah. This is God's method of producing his church. This is his stated structure. This method tackles the pride issue because this method requires humility. Isn't God clever? He's going to produce a church that requires, at its, at its, at its fundamental basic level of structure, humility. Not a, you know, corporate model of, you know, you've got the boss and, and he's got a few people and, and then, you know, they're, they're, they're over these people and, and, and whatever and, you know, whatever the boss says goes and, and look out if you get it wrong, okay? It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a pyramid structure. It is, I'm looking from the top, it is the fivefold ministry and moving out from there but it's on this level it's it's all on the one level it's on the one level different functions different responsibilities but all on the one level in so much as being subject to one another submitted to one another so you've got the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher in a, in, a, in a setting where those ministries all exist in a, in, a, in a body, in a community, where you've got those all existing. What has to happen? 
they have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to see what is required at that point. Is it, is it, is it the, uh, uh, the, the evangelistic message that's, that's required right then and there? Is, is it time for a prophetic utterance? Is it time for direction? Is it time for teaching? Is it, what is it? And it's being subject and submitted to, to one another. That takes humility. And without humility, that, that, model, that model, God's model, cannot function. And, I, and there was a number of weeks ago, I, I sort of tackled those areas of um, ego comparison and competition. They can't exist in this model. They cannot be there. I think the message was, you know, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Those things can't be there. If they are there, being a nuisance, if they are there, it doesn't function. And if they are there, it's an indication of, of you know, pride that hasn't been, been dealt with. Humility. In, um, in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse uh, 5 and 6, and New King James as well. Peter writes, yes. Now, he's just said, in the verse before, he's just said, younger people, people be subject to your elders. And we, and we get that. That's, you know, younger people, be subject to your, to your elders. That's, uh, that's a good thing. Doesn't happen a lot in our society, but that's how it should function. But then he goes on in verse 5 Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. All of you. All of you. This was a letter to the church. All of you. Doesn't matter what your position, what your, what your function is, all of you. Be submissive to one another. And you think, well, how does that work? Who's the boss? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit led. All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when we're operating, when we're walking, when we're living our life with that attitude of humility then God gives grace to do everything that he's called us to do, to live the life that he has called us to live. It's his power. The grace comes from him. The ability to do comes from him. Sure, we've got, we've got natural gifts and abilities that God has, 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 has given us, but he wants us to give those back to him that he can empower us by his grace to do Way more than we could ever uh, think to accomplish in our own strength, in our own capability. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Do you know that God never tells us to do something that he doesn't give us the strength to be able to do. 
So if Scripture says, humble yourself, that is a possibility. That is doable by the grace with which he supplies. What's the alternative to humbling yourself? Mm. <laughs> I don't suggest you pray, God, humble me. I don't suggest you pray that. You humble yourself before God. It says, he who falls on the rock will be broken. And there's a brokenness in humility. <laughs> there is always a brokenness in humility. <laughs> but then it goes on to say, on whom that rock falls, they will be ground to powder. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Yeah, you know, the, the human will, my goodness, we had, a, we had an example of that last night at the dinner table, didn't we? <laughs> you know, little people, they ask, they, you, could, you could do a study on, on, on humanity looking at a two-and-a-half-year-old who doesn't want to eat his dinner. It's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. And the, and, the, and the situation here was, you know, it was baked potatoes done in the in the fire pit, and oh, it was good stuff. And uh, that no, he didn't want to didn't want to eat that. He didn't want to have it because there was some there was some two fruits for dessert. He wanted to go straight to dessert. Yeah, 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 yeah. Straight to dessert. And, um, and it's great being grandparents because you can just observe the parents doing their job. And this little fella just, it was the, it was the end of the world. It was, it was tears and all the rest of it. And, and, uh, and his parents were saying, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But you can have dessert after you have your dinner. <gasps> no! <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know it's hard. But, but you can have your dessert after you have your dinner. But I want dessert. How does he say dessert? Dessert. I want dessert. I want dessert. I don't need food. Yeah, yeah I know, but... But you can have dessert after you have your dinner. And, of course, then he changed tack because he's, he's a program he likes to watch. It's Little Bears. You know. um, I watch Little Bears. I don't need food. I want to watch Little Bears. Okay, you can watch Little Bears after you have your dessert. Yeah, dessert. You can have your dessert after you have your dinner. <laughs> no! Oh, my goodness, that was... But we got there. We eventually got there. Yeah, the baked potato, it, it went down and, and, you know. But it was just the struggle of the human will of what I want. And I won't submit. 
And, you know, God's like that with us sometimes, I think. You know, he's patient because he knows all. And when we're having our little hissies because we're not getting our own way or whatever, he said, yeah, I know, but this is what we're going to do. I know, but I love you and this is the way we're going. Hallelujah. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And what's the mighty hand of God? The hand of God. The hand of God. What's the mighty hand of God? Well, it might be, it might be the fivefold. It might be the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor and teacher. What God has given, the gifts that he has given for the edifying of the church, for the building up of the church, so that, 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 that the church would, would work the works of God. That's what it's about. It's not this fivefold over, it's the fivefold within. That what's within each of us gets drawn out by those different ministries, those different gift ministries that we would do that work. Sitting in this room, there are some people who have prophetic giftings within them. Guess who's going to bring that out? The prophet. You know, there's some people in here that have got just an evangelistic something within them. That's, that's the desire of their heart. Who's going to bring that out? The evangelist. You know, there might be people that are going to go and establish other churches. Who's going to bring that out? Apostle. And all manner of other things. God wants his body to be fully functioning, fully equipped and fully functioning. And at the centre of that is humble heart before God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, I'm going to mention this now and we'll put it on our, on our website and Facebook and all the rest of it. But I have mentioned it before about um, possibility of going down and being part of a, a, um, a service at, at, um, at Numa Church. So they have an afternoon service, 4 o'clock I think it starts. And uh, so we've actually um, established the December the 10th. Um, so that's, what, three weeks from now I think. So December the 10th. Um, we'll uh, church uh, that morning. It may be a maybe a little bit shorter service, maybe um, because we'd like to jump on a train at twelve thirty, twelve twenty-eight, twelve twenty-eight. Okay, don't be there at twelve thirty. You'll be two minutes late. Um, twelve twenty-eight. Travel down by train. Um, services at four o'clock. Jump back on a train, I think, just after 8 o'clock and get back here at 10.30. So, big day. But Numa Church has got something that God is establishing and operating and 
it is firmly based in that structure of fivefold ministry. And to be able to, you know, you can talk about, uh, uh, about things that are happening and what God's doing, but to actually be in the midst of, in the, of, of, of that environment is, is a whole other thing. So I would encourage you, if that's at all a possibility for you, um, got three weeks' notice that, um, yeah, December the 10th, as many people as, as would like to and can, um, uh, we'd like to take as much of the church as we could down on the train. That'll be fun. And um, great opportunity because we can unpack things um, on the way back and, and all of that. So December the 10th, put that in your, in your diary. Lord bless you. We're going to have communion now, so if you need to grab your cup, please do so. everybody what a beautiful morning we've had with the Lord and his beautiful spirit this morning he's just so wonderful he brings so much to us um, it's just just so beautiful to be in his presence um, just I was just thinking while Caleb was talking a little bit earlier in the offering message um, John 1 29 uh, John John the Baptist came to me um, I was watching the, the Chosen program the other night and I'm sure you've probably seen it. I'm catching up with it. And Jesus was calling him John the Baptizer. And um, John was out in the wilderness, as we know. He had nothing, absolutely nothing. All, he was dressed in animal skins. He was eating honey and living in the wilderness. But he had this beautiful ability to see what his cousin was going to bring to the world. And, and John 1, 29, John the Baptist is crying out. He had nothing. He had no money. He had nothing. But he had this amazing, beautiful heart that Tim was talking about, a humble heart before God. He could see what his beautiful cousin was going to bring to the world and what he was going to deliver. And he cried out, here is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Bless his beautiful name, Jesus our Lord and Saviour. So you don't have to have much to give your all. That's the beauty when, you, when you're with God and in his spirit. You can be the lowliest of lowlies, but you can give him everything and he will lift you up and give you all the rewards that your heart desires. He's so beautiful. And Rosie was talking a little bit earlier with David and, and what David saw. We knew what the heart that David had and how prophetic he was and he was talking about what he saw at the crucifixion. And, of course, this is what we're here for this morning in, in having communion with him for what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, like, over the years, many times we've looked and read and um, the Holy Spirit just said to me while I was getting ready to deliver this this morning, Chris, who was at the foot of the cross? Who was at the foot of the cross on Golgotha? Who was at the foot of the cross 
a Calvary. So we go to John 19, 25, and Jesus is already on the cross and he's been lifted up. But who, who is at his feet? There's his, his mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus. His aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene stood at the foot of the cross. So I was just thinking, where's everybody else? Like, there's only four people there at the foot of the cross. The most important moment in history for the church, for us as um, God's salvation coming to us, there's only four people at the foot of the cross with Jesus, while Jesus is nailed to a cross. Where is Lazarus and Martha and Mary? Where are all the people that Jesus did all the miracles for? Where are all the people that he fed, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people? There's no one there. Sure, there was bystanders going past, but they were just crying out insults and insulting him, the Son of God. So, you know, we have this responsibility. Sometimes we need to come to the foot of the cross. So in that verse that we're just reading, at the foot of the cross, Jesus saw his mother and the disciple that he loved standing near her. He said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then to the disciple, here is your mother. From that moment, the disciple accepted her as his own mother. And that was John. He was the youngest disciple. He was, some um, commentaries say he was only about 13 or 14 years of age when he started following Jesus. But Jesus loved him dearly. And when Jesus looked down from the cross, he knew that he could trust his beautiful mother to his loved, much-loved Disciple John. Hallelujah, Lord. Unbelievably beautiful that. <clears throat> so there's four people that were at the foot of the cross and they were all bound together in their mutual love for Jesus and their mutual respect for him for what he was going through. And that's the thing in our walk. Sometimes when we get called to this position, when we stand at the foot of the cross... It's really difficult to see someone in so much pain. And we've, we've seen that in our own lives, like when someone very dear to us is nearing death or, or being in that position where, you know, it's really, really tough. And what we've seen is where people run away. They can't handle the pressure of seeing that suffering. But the four people at the foot of the cross, it says in the word that they were standing there they weren't laying on the ground, you know, really crying and rolling around, but they were standing there watching what was happening with Jesus. And when, when we stand before God like that, we stand in a witness position. So we're witnessing everything that Jesus is doing on that cross. We're standing and witnessing to his glory, to his beauty. So that is so important that we don't run when the pressure comes on. As Tim was saying with the fivefold, we're going to see some amazing things coming down from heaven that are going to be instigated and placed in this church. So fear can come, and that's what can happen. But we've got to be able to stand in that witness position, stand in that witness position for our city, for our families, for our brothers and sisters, for the people that we love. Yes, we've got to stand in that witness position so that we don't falter. But how do we do that? We do that when we're looking at Jesus, when we're holding Jesus in our hearts. He will give us the ability to be able to do that. 
<clears throat> so suffering is not something that a human, we don't really want to see, but sometimes we do have to go through that to experience that so that we come out the other side much stronger. It's not just the physical aspect that we're looking at it, but it's the spiritual battle that we're going through. And the Holy Spirit is being brought down for us. He's been given to us to give us the strength to be able to walk through those trials and tribulations that we will and most definitely will see coming in the future. Um, Tim's spoken about that. We've got to get ready for that pressure, that time when it's going to happen. Um, so through what Jesus did on the cross, through our prayers, through the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to face that that's coming. The, when we're standing, the actual Greek word is martyrs. And we've seen that in history, haven't we? The Christians standing up as martyrs being prepared to give their lives for Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask us to do that at this point in time, but he, he asks us to be really devoted to him so that we can walk in that walk that he wants us to walk in. And sometimes, you know, in that position, we've got to stand up. There's consequences. Um, there's all sorts of things that can happen that's going on in our lives, but we just put them at the foot of the cross. Thank you, Lord. When we look up and we see Jesus is standing on the cross, it's the witness of the love of the Father for himself and for humanity. Jesus testifies by willingly giving his own life on the cross. How beautiful is that? That's where everything was accomplished, everything was completed, was on the cross. Everything that we've seen from that, from that particular moment has just, the whole thing, the church has just grown and come from what was that and what Jesus did on the cross. So we'll just go to John 10. Whoops. Sorry. And why Jesus was on the cross, um, we know that he was performing the perfect will of the Father. Jesus always completed the will of his father. What his father wanted him to do, Jesus was prepared to do, even to the point of laying down his life. So in John, 7, John 10, 17, Jesus is saying to the people that are gathered around him, this is why the father loves me, because I freely lay down my life. And so I am free to take it up again. It's all in Jesus' power. Jesus didn't have to hand down or easily surrender his life. He was doing his Father's will. I lay it down of my own free will. I have the right to lay it down and I also have the right to take it up again. I receive this authority personally from my Father. Hallelujah, Lord. Jesus freely gave his life for us. It was completing the, his Father's will. He laid it down but he didn't have to lay it down he laid it down because he loves us so much he he knew that this was the father's will and f everything flowed from the fact that jesus was prepared to lay down his life for us hallelujah lord thank you lord 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, so much for you and your beautiful sacrifice. So now um, let's just stand and we'll do our Holy Communion. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, we thank you that you were willing to send your only begotten Son, your Son, your beloved Son, your only begotten Son, Father, that you were prepared to do that and that Jesus was prepared to stand up and leave heaven, come to earth as a baby, do his ministry and then give his life on the cross freely for us and for everyone and every future generation since then and from us to when you come back again, Lord. Jesus, you conquered everything. You destroyed sin. You were just everything that you wanted to do, Lord, you did in what you did in giving and being prepared to give your life. We are healed by the stripes, Lord. We are washed in your blood, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just eat in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's just drink the blood, Jesus' precious blood that was shed for us. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, that's lots to um, take home today, how good. Um, just, to, just to finish with the announcements, um, I will start with tomorrow morning is playgroup and we have coffee. Mel comes here and at, uh, eight, before 8.30 and has it all ready for the parents. It's really great. They love to come and have their coffee and then drop their children off. And because um, some parents have a bit of a rough time <laughs> in the mornings getting all their children ready and to, they can have a coffee when they get to school. That's a bit of a um, bonus, isn't it? So it's an opportunity um, to, uh, for yeah, just in the community, it's very good. And playgroup, we have lots of fun at playgroup. Um, and that's 9.30 till 11.30. Uh, Wednesday is um, 7.30 prayer. The prayer meeting has been really great. God's really been, his presence has been amazing um, in the prayer meeting. So if, uh, if you're free on a Wednesday night, it's actually a good thing to prioritise. Uh, Thursday, um, 9.30, the ladies here in the... Um, we have, we have the prayer for the um, school first and then um, at 9.30 we have the ladies in here and we're doing Ephesians. We're doing the same as what we're doing Tuesdays but just for those ladies that can't make it on a Tuesday night, 
um, uh, we have it, uh, the opportunity to come, and that's been really nice um, as well. Men's night um, is Thursday night, 7.30, Chris and Carol's place. And Friday, um, youth, 3.30 to 5.30. And I know they're having um, lots of fun. (laughs) I have a grandson who goes and there's no problems getting him to school on a Friday. (laughs) He just loves it. Um, And so... um, the save the date uh, for the Christmas celebration is the 15th of December and Tim's already talked about our trip to Numa uh, on the 10th, so that's great. But on, um, on Saturday, I've got it all written here. For Saturday the 25th, which is next Saturday, at Nianga Lake Barbecue at the barbecue area at Eagle Hall. Lake Nianga, um, five o'clock, uh, men's barbecue, men's get-together, and um, they're joining with the New Nature men, and uh, the New Nature men are providing the barbecue, so isn't that great? So uh, it's a voluntary donation, if you'd like to donate. If you want to know anything more about that, see Steve Nemet, Lockie or Caleb. Or Tim, but I think people see Tim about lots of things, so probably Steve, Lockie or Caleb. Um, and, yeah, that's all. Have a wonderful week and, uh, and take uh, what God's deposited in your heart to do something really great in you and for others this week. Bless you.